0: back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 the Lord said to Samuel how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel fill your horn with oil and be on your way I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem I have chosen one of his sons to be king but Samuel said how can I go Saul will hear about it and kill me the Lord said take a heifer with you and say Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah.
1: As you get older, your birthday presents change. Uh, I think when I was about six, uh, I probably was quite excited to get some pocket people, which were little people about this size that you could put in your pocket. Uh, When I was 16, I'm guessing I was quite excited uh, to get these little round things called CDs. You might have heard of them. Uh, When I turned 46 quite recently, uh, I was quite excited to get something different. Uh, You know you're getting old when you get glasses for your birthday. And I was quite excited about it because now I can see the writing clearly. Though you guys, for some reason, look a lot more blurry than you used to. I don't know why that is. Uh, It's really important, isn't it, to see things clearly clearly. To be able to see what's really happening, to be able to see what's really happening in the world, to be able to see things in the right way. Because the world is a very confusing place. And 1 Samuel 16 is all about seeing things the right way. Or rather from the right perspective with the right point of view. That's page 297. Chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Samuel's got plenty of reasons to mourn. Uh, The people have rejected God and said, appoint for us a king. And so God gave them what they asked for, a king for them. Samuel was intimately involved, he anointed Saul, he introduced him to the people, he reaffirmed the kingship and he said to them all, if you only obey and if the king only obeys, you've got a second chance. And Saul, we saw last week, was a great success as a king. He led them into battle, which is just what they wanted, and he defeated all their enemies on every side, which is just what they wanted. He was a great success. And yet God thought he was a great failure. For he rejected God by rejecting his word. And the Lord was grieved. The Lord mourned and rejected Saul as king. And like a parent who can see their child making foolish choices and they mourn for them. Like a pastor who sees his people sometimes making foolish choices and mourns for them. So Samuel is mourning, mourning for Saul and for what could have been for him, mourning for the people and what could have been for them. And I think mourning for himself. But God says to him, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? God is not saying here, you've had three months, that's all you're allowed to mourn for someone, now get over it. Don't ever let anyone say that to you. No, he's saying don't mourn without hope. The Lord grieved for Saul, but now he has rejected Saul and he has chosen someone else. And he says to Samuel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Here is a new hope. Not just that God's going to try again, second time lucky, maybe this king will be better. This time he has not chosen a king for the people. Literally he says, I have seen for myself a king. The Lord has seen. And the question is, can Samuel see? Can we see? Well, Samuel's afraid to go. The breakdown has been that bad between Samuel and the king that he's afraid the king will kill him if he knows that he's up to something. Even the elders in Bethlehem are scared stiff of the whole thing when Samuel turns up. But the Lord gives him a cover Take an animal to sacrifice, and so it looks like you're just visiting the town and doing the prophet-priest-type thing. And invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. Will Jesse and his sons come? And immediately Samuel thinks he has hit the jackpot. Do you see verse 6? And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, the oldest, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Samuel should have gone to Speck Savers, shouldn't he? He hasn't learnt much. He sees as people see. Eliab is tall and handsome. Remind you of anyone? He's tall like Saul. And that didn't go well. He was a king for the people. He was a success but a failure. And so the Lord says to him, verse 7, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance but when the Lord comes to choose a king for himself he doesn't look at the outward appearance he looks at the heart as he said back in chapter 13 I've chosen someone a man after my own heart you know that expression don't you he's a man after my own heart it means he loves going to the beach he loves reading books and he listens to history podcasts that'd be a man after my own heart with the Lord it's more serious it's he loves what I love He loves to obey my commands. The Lord looks at the heart, not at the outward appearance. So let me ask you, how do you see people? Because we are obsessed by outward appearance, aren't we? When we see our leaders, our political leaders, they've got to look the part, haven't they? And if they don't, we choose someone else. When we look for someone we might want to go out with or to marry, we are so focused on what they look like. When someone walks in the room, when we meet them for the first time, first impressions, it's all about what they look like. And we really care about what we see in the mirror, don't we? Even when it looks okay, many of us think, well, 20 years ago it actually looked a fair bit better. And we get obsessed with that. That's stupid, isn't it? The whole thing is stupid because the whole thing just fades away. Gravity wins in the end with all of us. And we ought to change how we see people. And it's really good news here, isn't it? That the Lord is not stupid. He doesn't look at the outward appearance of people. That's not what matters to him. He sees what's matters. what matters, what's in the heart. That's good news. Though, if I'm honest, it's actually really bad news because I can make my outside look okay most days and I could maybe fool God with that. But he can see my heart and that is really bad news. Except that he loves me anyway. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's true. But is that really what verse 7 is saying? When the Lord was choosing a king for himself, he looked at the heart. And he knows that a good heart these days is hard to find, and so he rejects these seven older sons and chooses David. For David is a man after God's own heart. Is that true about David? Well, it seems to be true in the very next chapter because he trusts God and defeats Goliath. Tick. It seems to be true when for the rest of the book he refuses to kill Saul because he is the Lord's anointed. It seems to be true when he writes lots and lots of psalms about God. A man after God's own heart, surely. But what about when he lusts after Bathsheba, another man's wife? Calls her with his power as the king, commits adultery with her, and when she gets pregnant as a result, he murders her husband. Do you really think that David is a man after God's own heart, that when God looked at David's heart, he thought, that's just what I want? I don't think so. And even if David did have a good heart, if it all matched up and from this point on you thought, well, no wonder God chose David, does God normally do that? Does God normally choose people who deserve it? Is that what it was like with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and everyone since them? No. He chooses people who don't deserve it. So what does the Lord mean here? What is it that he looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart? Well, it's a poor translation, and I want to put what is literally there in front of you. It's going to come up on the screen now, and it's also on your outline as well, same thing. Literally, it doesn't say man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It says, the Lord does not see as man sees. Man sees according to the eyes, but the Lord sees according to the heart. Now that's hard to grasp, isn't it? But how is it that man sees, that people see? We see according to our eyes. We see with our eyes. And on the basis of what we can see, of what we look at, we make up our mind. We see according to the eyes, but the Lord doesn't do that. The Lord sees according to his heart. It's not your heart that he's looking at. It's not David's heart that he sees. It's that he sees with his heart, just as we see with our eyes. I'm not looking at your eyes to determine what I think about you, do you see? The Lord sees according with his eyes. Heart. Now, that's abstract, isn't it? It's hard to understand. But the Lord sees everything, do you see? But he sees things from his perspective. He sees things on the basis of what he thinks is important, on the basis of his plans and purposes. In other words, what does he see in David? Why does he choose David to be the king for himself? Is it because he has a good heart? No. It's got nothing to do with David, do you see? There's nothing in David that attracts God to him. He's not seeing David's heart, he's seeing with his own heart. It's not that David has a special place in his heart for God, it's that God has a special place in his heart for David, do you see? He sees and rejects the seven older sons because they're not the ones he has chosen. He has chosen David. Because in God's purposes for his people and for the world, he has chosen David to be the one. That's why in 2 Samuel 7, when God has actually put David on the throne and now promised to make his son rule forever, David says, Who am I that you have done this for? He doesn't say, No wonder I was the boy with the good heart all those years back. He says, who am I? You did this according to your promises. You did this according to what was in your heart. So it's true, we should stop looking at outward appearances. We should value what's in people's hearts. But 1 Samuel 16 is saying something more profound more significant that god sees that he chooses according to his heart his will his plan according to his point of view why is that profound what difference was it make i got three things many people today say that there is no absolute truth you've heard that haven't you Everyone sees things differently according to their own heart. You've got an opinion about Jesus. I've got an opinion about Jesus. That's your point of view. This is my point of view. Each of them are equally valid. It's called postmodernism. How do you respond to that? Is it true that we have different points of view? Yes. Is it true that we are bound by our own point of view because we can only see things from our own point of view? Yes. But does that mean there is no truth, that there is no absolute truth, there is no way of knowing which is the right point of view? Well, yes, unless God has a point of view. Unless God who sees all things and who has a plan for the future has a heart by which he sees and that he sees things from the point of view of that Heart. The answer to postmodernism, do you see, is here in 1 Samuel 16. Surprise, surprise. God has a point of view. He sees things from his heart, and David is the king he has chosen. Jesus is the son he has promised. And so it's not just my point of view against yours. It's God's point of view. And you would be mad not to adopt God's point of view. Now, for some of you are into philosophy, maybe you've got people you talk to about postmodernism. you might find that helpful. Some of you are thinking that's a load of... I don't know what you might call it, but not very helpful. Let me throw another one at you. More personally, the world is confusing, isn't it? How do you make sense of it? Your life is confusing and full of things that you don't like. Full of things that are hard that you would not choose for yourself. And as you see it with your eyes it doesn't make any sense. You get sick, you get frustrated, your friends let you down. Why would that happen? Why would that be good? But God has a point of view. He sees things from his plan, from his heart, from his will. And from his point of view, it is good what he is bringing to you. The challenge is to trust him. Thirdly, most wonderfully perhaps, God doesn't choose people on the basis of our hearts. Isn't that good? 2 Samuel 7, that David says, Who am I that you have done all this for me? He's completely confident that God has chosen him and God will do his plan. And so he cannot lose God's spirit. He cannot lose the throne because he is God's king. He is confident that he belongs to God. But he is humble because he knows it has nothing to do with him. In Jesus, it's the same for us. Colossians 3, we are a chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And it makes us humble because we're supposed to say, who am I that God would choose me? Why did he choose me, it seems, and not my other people in my family? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me with my eyes, but it makes sense to God somehow because that is his point of view and it gives me assurance and it makes me humble. Do you know that? Can you see that? Can you see things from God's point of view? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you see things properly. You see all things. And you see things from your point of view with your heart, your will, your purposes, and where the universe is heading. Father, please give us that confidence that David has and that humility. We pray this in
2: Jesus' name. Amen. The next reading follows on from the last one, on page 297, starting at verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit of God comes upon you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armour-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am well pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him.
1: Well, this is a confusing scene, isn't it?
2: Hard to see what this uh, is
1: about. And it's pretty confusing in the very first verse, really. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Did the Lord really send a demon to torment Saul? And how on earth did playing the harp fix that? I don't think playing the harp would fix anything personally, but that's my own point of view. An evil spirit from the Lord. The word evil here, you can see there the the footnote, can't you? Uh, Evil can also mean harmful, something that harms you. This is not a demon from down below, one of the minions of the devil and God made a call and got him sent up or something. This is a spirit for God is in charge of all things, including spirits, of course, and a spirit that is sent to harm, Saul. It's the same word in Job 2, which is the background for the song we've just sung. Uh, Shall we accept good and not evil from the Lord, said Job, by which he meant uh, the death of his family and the death of his livestock? It was not so much evil as harmful, and all things come from God. This is a particular sort of bad thing that comes. Now, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. The spirit of the Lord came on him when he was anointed to be king over Israel. What has happened now? He's been rejected from being king. And so, of course, the spirit of the Lord, given for a particular task, has left him. And in response... In replacement, a harmful spirit from the Lord torments him. The Lord is punishing him. Saul rejected God as king. God has rejected Saul as king. And God is sending a repeated reminder to Saul of what he has done. But there's something more fundamentally confusing going on in this scene and I think it's quite deliberate from God. The confusing thing to try and figure out here is who is the real king. For it's clear here, isn't it, that we're in Saul's throne room, I think. He's clearly the king to all intents and purposes to everyone's view as they see with their eyes. He still has the attendants. He can call anyone to come And they come. He is the one clearly in control, in power. And yet we've just read that David has been anointed king. And yet what's he doing here in Saul's throne room? Well, he's a brave warrior, we read. He's handsome. He's well-spoken. And he can play the harp. And what's he doing? Simply playing the harp whenever Saul wants him to. Do you see the confusion? Do you see how it's hard to see who is the real king? It's like when the wise men come to King Herod, do you remember, and they say, where is the king of the Jews? And Herod goes, I'm right here. He's clearly the king. How could it possibly be a baby in a manger? Or like when Jesus is held before Pilate, and Pilate says to him, are you a king? And then crucifies him with a sign over him saying, the king of the Jews. Who's the real king here? Clearly, it's the Romans. It couldn't be Jesus. And it's like in our world, isn't it? There are so many powerful people with extraordinary power and money. Surely they are the rulers of the world. Would you really think it was Jesus who was ruling the world? No one's seen him for the last 2,000 years. And the world doesn't look much like Jesus is in control of it, does it? So who is the real king? If you see with your eyes, Saul is the king. And the human rulers are the king now. But do we want to see with our eyes, from our point of view, or from God's point of view? That's the challenge here, isn't it? Can you see who is the real king? And will you trust him? And can you see here what the real king does? The real king clearly is actually David. And what does he do here? He comes, verse 21, to serve. He comes to serve the one who's rejected God. And he brings relief from God's judgment. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is the real king who gets hauled before the authorities but then has come not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many to bring relief from God's judgment. You can only see that though if you see with God's heart, not with our eyes. We need to see properly. We need to see things from God's point of view and it's only God's word that will help us to do that. What is it in your life when you see what's happening around you and you think that other people are in charge? Where do you need to see that actually Jesus is the king and trust him in your life, our Heavenly Father, Help us to see things from your point of view. And even though we can't see Jesus with our eyes, help us to see what he has done to serve and to ransom us from judgment and that he now sits at your right hand waiting for all his enemies to be made his footstool. Father, in whatever area of life or whatever human ruler we are impressed by or scared by help us to see with your heart and see things properly